Thank you. Good. Ooh. <clears throat> Sometimes we uh, okay. That won't do it either. Huh? Okay. How's that? We'll get there. Some people would call that a screw loose in the speaker. <laughs> there may be on occasion. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> sometimes we have to brush aside our wishes for the trivial and the insignificant in order to really get to the heart of what we really, really want. John's gospel may well show us what we want above everything else in the world. It may call for a special effort amid our preoccupation at this season of the year of celebration, family meals, church and school programs and gift giving, purchasing and giving and decorating and travel as we've heard about here, and of course the weather and concerns like that. <clears throat> My text <clears throat> is uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and uh, if we don't have it on PowerPoint, we'll... Uh, it is in the scripture. Okay, there we go. What do you really want for Christmas? <clears throat> John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, there are two different words there in the Greek for own and own. He came unto that which was his own creation, and his own people did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's Christmas. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John testified concerning Him, he cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we all have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is the clo in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. 
Well, what do you want for Christmas? What do you really want for Christmas above all else? Now, uh, <clears throat> I brought uh, Jan with me today. And um, <clears throat> if we can have a little audience participation from her, she is going to give an illustration if I have enough cord to reach her. And I think I do. Almost. Okay, is it? There we go. You can hold it right there. Uh, she's going to give you an illustration. Um, I could probably give this illustration, but uh, she can she can do this. Uh, better. Probably better than I. I don't okay. Know. I don't she's know going to that, tell though. you about uh, this young lady, our granddaughter. Uh, that picture was taken of her about the time this happened. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of background about our family first. Our daughter, Stephanie, is our oldest. And then just almost two years later, Eric came along. And our story is going to be about his family today. And then nine years, yeah, nine years later, we had a surprise. And Chip came along. And he even made a little special surprise by being born on Tom's 40th birthday. <laughs> So it's easy to keep track of how old they are. <laughs> so You don't need to do the math. Yeah. So when um, uh, Eric and Heather had Maddie, who is on the screen, and Will, and at the time of this story, they were beginning to, to build their house. And so um, they wanted to sell the house they were in, so they put it on the market hoping that it would be sold by the time they were finished building the house. And um, as luck would have it, the house sold within a month of when they put it on the market. And they had asked, they said, now in case it sells beforehand, could we move into your basement? And, of course, we didn't expect it to be two and a half years, and neither did they. <laughs> but they lived with us in our basement for two and a half years. It is a finished basement, but uh, for two and a half years. So this story happens during that time. And so um, Maddie would come up for breakfast. She'd be about seven or eight years old about this time. And Tom would be there having his breakfast. And she, Tom always said she never lacked for conversation. Once she came through the door, there was conversation immediately. And so they'd be talking, and then she'd say, is Grammy gone? Where's Grammy? And he'd say, yeah, she's out. She's still walking. Now, my friend and I walked every morning about three or three and a half miles, and I didn't realize then that I was building bones <laughs> to uh, help me several years later handle 14 steps <laughs> but anyway i have very strong bones so i'd still be out walking two weeks ago what yeah that, that was two weeks ago when i fell anyway um so she'd be sitting there eating and she'd look out the window and see me coming up the road almost to the driveway and so she'd real quick hop and run go hide and this was a daily occurrence so she would go hide and i would come in the door and i'd say is it Maddie here yet? Where's Maddie? Well, she was here, but she's gone now. So I would start the search, and I would look for her in several places, and she was usually in the same place, but I'd look around. Finally, I'd find her, and, oh, I found you, and I would, we'd hug each other, and, and uh, 
that was what she wanted. She wanted me to think she was lost, but what she really wanted was to be found. And that kind of <clears throat> describes the heart of my message this morning. What do we want and what do we really want? Well, she wanted Grammy to think that she was gone, but she really wanted to be caught and found. <clears throat> well, what do you want for Christmas? You have a list? Uh, how about some more clothes, some furniture, some cologne, a new car, a computer, a diamond, a gift certificate, or just money? I got tickled the other night. I was watching um, Charlie Brown Christmas with uh, our granddaughter. And um, Lucy, <clears throat> if you're familiar with the Peanuts cartoon, Lucy, uh, she was asked what she wanted for Christmas, and she said, real estate. <laughs> I heard about a fellow who asked his wife, what do you want for Christmas? She said, a divorce. He said, I wasn't planning on spending that much. <laughs> <clears throat> Some really good things require waiting. Some really good things are worth the wait. Fred Craddock tells about asking churches without preachers what they want for a preacher. Now, this may help you identify or at least understand maybe what the search committee is going through right now. Craddock says, um, <clears throat> well, some want an older man. No, we don't need an older man. We had one of those, and he just did not appeal to the youth. What we need is a younger man. No, we don't want a younger man. We had one of those, and it was all hay racks and hay rack rides and wiener rows. Well, what we need is an administrator, somebody who can organize the staff and make plans and cast a vision for the whole congregation. No, I think what we need is a, a teacher, someone who can, uh, <clears throat> with skill, teach us biblical literacy. We, we are so illiterate when it comes to Bible knowledge. No, I want a preacher. I want a dynamic man in the pulpit, somebody who can really deliver the goods from the pulpit. <coughs> Excuse me. No, what we need is a counselor. We've got families and marriages falling apart. We need, we need someone with counseling skills. Well, I think what we need is a man of prayer, a spiritual man who exudes spirituality. Prayer needs to be the strategy of this church anyway. Well, we don't want a guy that's had Greek and been to the Holy Land. We've had enough slides to fill us for a, <clears throat> a lifetime. But after the wish list, <clears throat> wish list, what we really want is someone who will help us know God. <clears throat> John said that Jesus came to show us God. Philip one day said, Master, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus stooped down, and he touched a leper, and scales fell off, and he leaped for joy. Okay, but we want to see God. Well, Jesus was just leaving the city of Jericho one day, and he stopped along the way for a beggar there along the roadside who was blind from birth. He smelled awful. He had stuff coming out of his eyes and lice in his hair. And slive on his beard, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David. Well, that's fine, but we want to see God. Women brought little children. 
And some of them would drop their pacifiers in the dirt and pick them up and put them right back in their mouths. And they had smelly stuff coming out of every orifice. And they made noises, those kids. Get those kids out of here. Can't you see we're trying to do the kingdom of God here? And Jesus said, leave them alone, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, but we still want to see God. And Jesus took a basin and a towel, and he got down on the floor, and it was hard to imagine. And there was Peter who said, okay, now, but show us God. And then at last, Jesus took up the cross, and he said, have I been so long with you, and you have not known or seen the Father? John 14, 9. We sing, hark the herald angels sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, the Godhead sees. Hail the incarnate deity, incarnate God among us, Emmanuel, Elohim, come to be among us. Pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. You can see God maybe when you find a social reject, a broken heart a lost and lonely, empty neighbor who needs something done to them, what I would call incarnational. Be God to someone like that in need, like picking up a basin and a towel and a touch and a uh, love note to one who needs to hear they're loved. We call this season Christmas, the Advent, the Incarnation, Emmanuel, heaven come down and walking among us, portrayed here beautifully again and around us. Here is a feeble attempt to describe its meaning. You ever feel really, really alone? I have. And Jesus has sure been there. You ever feel unjustly and unfairly criticized? I have been. I know what that feels like. So was Jesus. That was his experience too. You feel abandoned by friends when you really needed them? Jesus was. You feel victimized by gossip and lies? I've been lied about. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. Years ago, a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, 1906, 1945. 1945, you know what that 1945 is? He was a German Lutheran pastor, and he was arrested and put in uh, Flossenburg prison. Uh, There is the general view of Flossenburg concentration camp. But it was right before Christmas time, and... uh, it was uh, actually, it was December 1944, and he had opposed the Nazi program of Adolf Hitler and was imprisoned as a war criminal. Christmas was approaching. It would be the last one that Bonhoeffer would see. Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's chief of propaganda and head of the Gestapo, had ordered Bonhoeffer tortured and hanged in Flossenburg concentration camp, and the date was set in April 1945. And that date was exactly two weeks 
before the American soldiers liberated the Flossenburg camp just two weeks from their release. Hitler was already dead, but his order to <coughs> hang Monhofer um, had already been given. He was stripped naked. Actually, he taught Sunday school classes in his jail cell, and they had to change the guards regularly on Bonhoeffer's cell because he was so powerfully effective in influencing the jail guards. And he was stripped naked and slept to the gallows and prayed. He kneeled, he knelt before the gallows and prayed his last prayer. But in his jail cell, he wrote these words in a document that, that uh, survived the concentration camp. He wrote, how much like the advent of Christ is being in prison. We putter about in the confinement of stone walls and iron bars. We long to be free, but the prison door is shut and locked tight, and it can only be opened from the outside. I want to play for you a graphic portrayal of this, if we can make it go. This is from uh, a TV series entitled The Band of Brothers. And it's an occasion um, that the armed soldiers have come face to face uh, with a concentration camp. Let's see if we can get it up here. <clears throat> I might have to apologize for a little of the language. It's a little bit of profanity in this. I ask him to tune it down. But if it's there, let me um, say in the context, I'm not so sure that those words even would be considered uh, profane. People need care. Give them water and any spare rations you might have. Grab me some blankets, quick. Oh, my God. Dick?
Ljudi, pomozite. Molim vas, pomozite. Još je živ. Još ga možete spaziti. I don't know how that affects you. It had a profound, profound effect upon me personally. Jan and I uh, just uh, a couple of three years ago visited the concentration camps of Auschwitz and Birkenau. Kind of felt ourselves, it was a rainy, cold day, reliving the experience portrayed here. And when I first uh, saw this, uh, I found myself identifying, of course, with the American soldiers, liberating forces. But uh, that's not who we are. We are the prisoners. We are the ones locked up on the inside. We can only uh, be freed if someone from the outside comes and cuts the chain and throws the door open to set us free. It is a parable, I think, as you may see. We identify with the heroic American soldiers, but the gospel story tells us that we are prisoners and Jesus Christ is the liberator. In Jesus' first sermon recorded for us in Luke chapter 4, Jesus tells how he came to set the captives free. That's the very phrase that occurs in that very first sermon Jesus preached that we have recorded, Luke 4.18. The Spirit of God, he said, is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There were two occasions on the Jewish calendar One was called the sabbatical year and the other the year of jubilee. Each of those years resulted in the freeing of slaves. It was an attempt to equalize the economy so that there would be a a decrease in poverty among the children of God. The year of jubilee every 50 years, again, the uh, slaves were freed. And uh, I firmly myself believe that Jesus Christ began his ministry and preached that first sermon that introduced the year of Jubilee. As he said, I have come, I have come on this occasion, this moment, to set the captives free. Only he was talking about you and me. We, you and I, are the captives. For 20 long centuries, from Abraham forward, Prophets and bards had watched the skies, waited and tracked birth records, prayed and waited, witnessed their hope in sermons and songs. How very much like you and I, who watch and pray and write and sing songs of hope for rescue from the outside as we look out from our cells on death row. 
prisoners we are in the confines between our allotment of 70 years from birth till death. And not everybody makes the 70 years. I marvel myself at so many of my friends who didn't make it to 70. Our allotment, though, in human flesh, corruptible, perishable flesh, waiting, watching, watching the eastern sky for our liberator. We watch the news. We pour over newspapers. We cherish Bible verses that promise he's coming again. Jesus inaugurated the cup of blessing, which uh, we drink at communion time. We just participated in it. In the Jewish feast, there were four cups. The cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing, and the cup of promise. Four cups. They were inspired by a passage in the book of Exodus. Two of those cups, the cup of deliverance and the cup of redemption, were participated in the last, uh, the Passover, the um, Seder, before the lamb was eaten. Then the lamb was eaten, and the third cup was drunk immediately following the eating of the lamb. The third cup was called the cup of blessing. That's this cup right here, the cup of blessing. Paul says, this cup of blessing which we bless, this is the covenant we have with the Lord. And then the third cup, or the fourth cup, is the cup of promise. Jesus says, I will not drink of it until I come with you in my kingdom. That's the cup we are waiting to drink with him when you and I sit down at the banquet table in glory. That's cup four. It's waiting for us. Until then, we drink the cup of blessing. Those four cups. And it's the cup of blessing that forecasts the cup of promise. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And John opens the door after 400 years of prophetic silence with his own Christmas narrative. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became a man among us. During that 400 years, five nations had governed Israel, the Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Syrians, and the Romans, each giving God's people cause to plead for rescue, to plead for freedom and liberation from oppression. They waited and longed for a redeemer, a messiah, a liberator. Now, Jesus himself, I believe, was the one who provided John his bravery. You see, Roman Caesar after Roman Caesar had carried on an ethnic cleansing, trying to purge the earth of Christians, you and me, people just like us, or you and I, and anything Christian. In a world like ours, Herod's evil shadow lived on for centuries. The mayor recently in the city of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, has banned any observance of Christmas in the city of Nazareth. No nativity scenes in Nazareth. Oh, there's the scripture I just read for you. There's the sabbatical year, fields were left fallow, slaves were freed, debts forgiven. The year of Jubilee, I think that's when Jesus began his ministry. Liberty was declared, Jesus says, I came to free the captors. Um, Property was returned to the original owner, slaves were freed, no reaping, planting, getting, debts were canceled. 
There's the Church of St. Mary in Nazareth, uh, built on the site where it's believed that uh, uh, Mary lived in a cave uh, beneath uh, that cathedral. There is the Church of the Annunciation. That's the church built where the uh, Jews believed, or excuse me, yeah, the, those in Nazareth at least believed that the angel Gabriel made the announcement to Mary that she would give birth uh, to Jesus. Only no Christian, no Christmas displays allowed by the mayor of Nazareth in either of those or at either of those religious cathedrals. Last year, West Lincoln School, our elementary school in Lincoln, had a Christmas program with all the children. Absolutely nothing about it was religious. No Christian theme, no Christ motif anywhere in their Christmas pageant. I don't think they even called it a Christmas pageant. It was completely secularized right in our own little town. Can you find a villain in our text? Like Matthew, John tarnishes the beautiful story with the villain, Herod. Herod is in verse 11. All the world haters through the history are present in that verse. He came unto his own creation and his own people. Herod, half Jew, did not receive him. The story wasn't popular in John's time. It's not very popular even today. I see um, house after house after house in Lincoln with all of these uh, blow-up things. Uh, nothing Christian about any of them. One even had a great big brown dachshund dog Christmas celebration. Well, we have a nativity. It's the only one on our entire row. Now, we're not the only Christians that live on Airport Road, but we're the only ones that have a Christian nativity in front of our house. It's plastic and it's lighted, and my kids say it's kind of, what, what's their term for it, Jan? Well, our plastic nativity, they think it's hokey. Hokey. But they've used it. Yeah, they don't, they don't make fun of it anymore, no. <clears throat> well, here's John, the uh, gospel writer, introducing us to Jesus the Liberator in the verse, first chapter of his gospel. The 11 apostles all have been martyred now when John writes these words. Paul has been beheaded. Thousands have paid the price, the ultimate devotion for which John will be writing here. In Pergamum, I stood on the very spot before the Bema, the judgment seat of the governor in Pergamum. I stood where Christians would have to stand and declare their allegiance, their allegiance personal allegiance to Christ. All they had to say was, uh, uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all they had to say. <clears throat> but they were condemned to say, Caesar is Lord. And if they could not say, Caesar is Lord, they were consigned to death. I've stood on that spot. I don't know that times have changed. Jesus is God, John says, the word. Come to earth as a human being. Four Caesars had lived during John's ministry. Caligula, Claudius, 
Nero, Domnation, all four of those Caesars had attempted to uh, completely purge the earth of Christians. And now John takes this carpenter rabbi, known then as a carpenter and rabbi, and makes this bold claim that to meet Jesus is to meet God, and then that there is only one road to glory, one way, and that is through him. Every religion in the world that sets Jesus aside gropes in the darkness for hope. He is creator, grace, and truth, verse 14 and 17. He is light and life, verse 4 of our text. He is loved and adored, verse 12. He is hated and disowned, verse 11. The unseen, invisible, eternal, almighty God shows up as a man, verse 14. Now he is seen, he is visible, he is mortal, he's human, but he is also divine. He's heaven sent. John, who saw Jesus die, John, who stood before the empty tomb, John, who saw him rise and disappear from the Mount of Olives, still he declares he is God. He is light to see and the life to live, and that are only to be found in him. And at the end of his exile, And at the risk of his own death, the Apostle John makes this colossal claim about Jesus Christ. He is the word of God, and he's come to be among us as a babe. Well, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, there are all kinds of things we can put on our list. I'll tell you what I wanted. What I want at Christmas, I want to know God. But let me tell you what I really, really want. I want to be known by God. So there's what we want, and then there's what we really want. We're going to stand together and sing our invitation hymn now. If Christ is not your Savior and Lord, not your liberator, this is opportunity for you to make that happen. He's waiting. He desires to free us, and that's the Gospel of John in one chapter.